I'm Meredith. And I'm Robin. And this is My TV Family. Today we're talking about our favorite game shows and talking with Jeopardy! champion Colin. Welcome back. As Meredith mentioned, today we're talking about game show hits from whammies to supermarket sweep and everything in between. We'll also be interviewing an actual Jeopardy champion about what it's like to be on the show. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. Um, and just so you know, we are currently recording outside n- outside <laughs> with six feet apart. Um, so you may hear some nature sounds. Yeah. Birds, crows, bug zappers. And just enjoy it. Deal Maybe it. it'll help you fall asleep. <laughs> Um. Next up on ASMR <laughs> with Robin and Meredith. Let's get right into what we're watching. Robin, what are you watching? Well, Meredith, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It and is. I did want to share with you and our listeners about a couple holiday films that I have um, watched. Um, first is Holiday, which I believe is on Netflix. Yes. Um, I liked it. Uh, my husband and I watched it together, and it was a great little Friday night romp. Um, it stars Emma Roberts, and, you know, as with all of these holiday movies, they have to have some kind of setup to keep the romantic leads from coming together. Um, I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, it did have some kind of gross-out humor, yeah. um, a la Bridesmaids. I'll just leave that there. Um, so Emma Roberts was fine as the female lead. There was an incredibly charming person from Australia who has a name. I didn't look it up. Um, <laughs> but he was the male lead, and he was absolutely delightful. Um, I would say it is good if you some- want something with a little more bite than your average run-of-the-mill Hallmark Christmas movie. Um, and it does have Kristen Chenoweth in it, playing like a raunchy, sloppy aunt just doing all of the Christian Jenna with things. Um, so she was really worth showing up for. Okay, another holiday film to talk about is Happiest Season, um, which is on Hulu. And I feel like uh, the Twitter sphere was going uh, crazy about this one. It is solidly entertaining. Um, if you missed it, it is the story of a woman bringing her girlfriend home to her family and her family does not know that their daughter, um, is gay. She is not out to them. And so she asks the girlfriend to pretend that she is her orphan roommate. Um, I'm really interested to hear about this because I know people had strong opinions about whether or not this was problematic. People had reactions. (laughs) Um, so the, um, poor, um, girlfriend is played by Kristen Stewart, who is doing the very most and some bobby pins and some blazer jackets and i do love kristen stewart i did not know this about you i know i love robert pattinson too well and um i'm not even a big twilight person but i love both of them (laughs) and like their whole romance plus like breakup was yeah I was really interested in that. We're going to have to talk about that. (laughs) Um, So here are the positives about this program. Uh, Dan Levy plays... um, Period, Dan Levy. Full stop. He plays the best friend of Abby, the poor beleaguered girlfriend. Um, Aubrey Plaza is fantastic in this movie. Um, The lead relationship is absolute hot garbage. (laughs) Um... I would say, and others have said this as well, but the film does not do a great job of establishing why this relationship is so strong and wonderful to begin with or why anyone would want to date this Harper, the daughter who's taking home poor Kristen Stewart. Um, So I feel like if they put a little more work in letting us know 
why they're in love, what's up with this relationship, why we shouldn't hate this Harper character. Um, but then they just shoot right on into the parents' house and Harper just starts treating um, Abby, Kristen Stewart, so horribly. I found myself yelling, run away at the screen <laughs> multiple times. Um, and I know all of Twitter wants Kristen Stewart's character, Abby, to end up with Aubrey Plaza, yeah. who plays Harper's ex-girlfriend slash friend of the family. Um, so perhaps that will be the sequel. Yeah, um, give us the sequel we need. We want more. Um, but it goes back to representation. Say it one more time. <laughs> if there were a hundred gay rom-com Home for the Holidays movies, yeah. it would be a lot easier to say, like, this one was kind of problematic. Um, but with kind of it being one of I don't know two yeah. this year um it's kind of hard to bag on it too hard so I will say um I hope that it opens the door for a million more movies like that maybe starring Kristen Stewart and Army Plaza there yeah you go. there we go I'm there I'm here for it Meredith have you been watching anything in the holiday spirit um not a ton except for yes I watched Dash and Lily. Oh, Did you I watch love it so much. Dash and Lily. So Dash and Lily is kind of a cross between You've Got Mail. Yes. And, and well, it's like a teenage You've Got Mail. Yes. Even though I will argue that they did not act or appear to be like teenagers at all. No, I they were. I think this like, was easily, could have been like f- home for the holidays, like from freshman year. Like able to do anything yeah, at any time. around New York City. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. I did too. I really, really loved it. I love Lily. I love her dance moves when she lets <laughs> when she lets loose at the club, and she is doing those dance moves. I just like couldn't have related harder to anyone else. Um, so basically, the premise is that um, Lily meets or is trying to connect with someone through a, no- a notebook, and mm-hmm. she leaves like some clues, and Dash finds it, and so they're writing back and forth between each other, and they don't actually know each other. Um, and it's like finding on their way to finding each other, um, through the notebook. Oh, maybe it's the notebook. Wait a second. <laughs> Connection. Um, one of those things where it's not right there in the title. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I just thought it was just the perfect holiday movie there. Our, it's actually a show, um, a TV show, a series. And halfway through, I had to text you and say, do Dash and Lily get together? <laughs> Please tell me. a happy me? story because, <laughs> yeah, there's some dramatic tension there. And yeah. there's, um, I would argue there is another suitable romantic interest for Dash who, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> she's like hot and beautiful and smart and speaks nine languages and she's sexy and sultry and like they're in the same friend group. And he's like, nah, yeah. I'm going to go for this other I know. (laughs) Yeah, they really did play her up well. She's like, she helps me at ease with my my problematic relationship with my dad. And yeah, I don't. um, Yuck. Except for I still didn't love her. So well, they did a good job of kind of turning the corner there, I think. Yeah. The whole that the whole part that he couldn't feel like he was himself with her really made it seem like. That seemed like a gossip girl situation. Like it definitely has like a gossip girl mix in there you yeah. know with the friends and the parties and yeah um i love the the actor who played dash he's just like a little kind of like a photo like a photocopy of timothy chalamet yes like maybe they photocopied a few too many times <laughs> and he got like a little lighter in the in the photocopying process um i also I, loved her brother sorry oh no he was great they he had a great um relationship with his boyfriend they had just like a fun 
fun little side story. That was good. I loved Mrs. Basil Yeah. Frank Weiler. Um, yeah, there were great um, kind of side characters. His friend at the pizza parlor, like lots oh, of... Oh, yes. And he <laughs> he was from Lethal Weapon. Remember oh, my I obsession remember. with I'm Lethal Weapon on... 17 recasts later. <laughs> on Fox. So he was the son in Lethal Weapon. Oh. Um, and so I, it took me a second to try and place him. But he was such a great character yeah. in Dash and Lily. And a good friend. And the and best smile. Yeah, Just I love like, him. The best smile. And told, put Dash in his place when he needed to. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a good one. And if this, I would imagine many of our listeners will find this appealing. There is a bonus Jonas Brothers moment in there. Yes. So, you know, run, <laughs> don't walk to your Netflix queue. <laughs> I know I said I was a big, um, like, Twilight actor fan, but I'm not a big Jonas Brother fan. So that was not as exciting for you me. You are a but mystery I wrapped am. in an enigma. <laughs> Meredith contains multitudes. <laughs> Um, okay, tell us another thing you're watching. <sighs> well, out of the holiday category. Yes, we're gonna go. We're gonna stick with something's every something everyone is talking about. Okay. Right? If you know, I like to be in the mix with the zeitgeist and like yep. what the people are chatting about. Yep. So I watched that dumb Queen's Gambit. Oh. Did you watch this show? So I watched. Most of the first episode with my husband, yes. he was really into it. He yes. loved it. And I was like, I can't do this. And then, like, as he's watching it, I'd be in the other room and be like, who's that? <laughs> Wait, where did she come from? Are and they dating? Are yeah. they friends? Who's that guy? <laughs> so I paid attention um, here and there, especially to just, like, important plot lines. Um, it, but it was it was a hard watch for me. Well, I will say, I keep saying I didn't like it, but I somehow watched every episode like yeah. pretty close to back to back to back. So yeah. there was something compelling enough about it to keep me watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep saying like I like the discussion around it more than I like the actual <laughs> viewing of the show itself. Yeah. Um, I loved the costuming, like get me a pair of black cigarette pants immediately or I will <laughs> die. Um, I love, I mean, the aesthetics of it were absolutely gorgeous. It was clearly made with love. Um, the music was fantastic. That scene where... Um, Good old what's her name? Uh, the Queen Gambit, the Gambit Queen. I don't even remember the lead <laughs> character's name. We're gonna call her Queen Gambit when she uh, smokes pot for the first time, and they play um, "Along Comes Mary" yeah. um, by the Association. Just all of the musical cues were fantastic. Um, I love Jolene, oh. her friend. I would I would watch the Jolene show today. Yeah, but I did not care about old chess lady. Like I did not care about her story or. Her doing drugs or drinking or not or figuring it out or sleeping with the guy. Like, I, okay, all right. Yeah, everything just felt like it was going to get really bad. Yeah. And so it made me really nervous. Like, the orphanage made me Mm -mm. nervous. Nope, no, no, no. Um, the the, the adoptive mother made me nervous. Um, there were moments like, when the when she went to Mexico and her mom met that guy and I just was like, uh oh, where's this guy? Every yeah. step, every step just had like a shadow over it for me. A woman in peril. Um, and so I just couldn't enjoy it. Um, because I couldn't get past that nervousness, it was not worth it for me. But I agree one hundred percent. I do not. I do not like a dark orphanage origin story no i don't need to know what's going on with cliff clavin down in the basement like none of that was fun to watch (laughs) so that was the queen's gambit but i am in 
the mix and I know what people are talking about. There you go. Now just watch the undoing and then you'll Ugh. be really in the mix. Uh, <laughs> you know I do love I do love Hugh Grant. Like, I know. An, un- an unnecessary amount. It's hard not to love Hugh Grant. Can I um, talk to you about something you inspired me to watch, Meredith? Uh, yes. I'm an inspiration. Did everyone hear this? <sighs> I'm an inspiration. Inspo. <laughs> um, it's a little program called Ted Lasso. Oh. Meredith. What a treat. I love this show with such a burning passion. And I will say that, of course, when you were talking about it, I was like, oh, that might be an interesting show for me. Yeah. And then I saw Patton Oswalt tweeting about it and how much he loved it. And I was like, well, shit, if Meredith and Patton Oswalt like it, that's like my perfect Venn diagram of TV recommendations. And um, I just cannot even express to you in words how much that show has meant to me. Um, I just absolutely loved it. I'm going to call it now. That was my favorite show of 2020. Call um, it. I'm saying, you know, that's saying something in a year where we were essentially imprisoned in our homes with nothing but 700 streaming services to keep us going. Um, I will say you, you turned me on to the Brene Brown um, podcast. Um, where she talks with Jason Sudeikis and the guy who plays Coach, Coach Beard. Beard. Yeah. Um, sorry, I don't remember his name. Um, and she talks so beautifully about the show, mm-hmm. and clearly, like, she has a way with words, and yes. she knows, like, um, this is like a topic that she totally understands. But she talked about how the show is absent of guilt and shame, mm-hmm. and I, for a while, and you've heard me talk on this podcast, I didn't quite understand why I liked the show. Like yep. it was hard for me to wrap my head around it. And she just like nailed it. Is that there was no guilt and shame? Like mm-hmm. Ted Lasso didn't didn't shame um, Jamie Tart. Yep. Um, didn't shame his wife. Yep. Who, you know, there were just so many moments where you felt like maybe I would respond differently mm-hmm. or someone else would respond differently. And he respo- he responds like with such grace and mercy and understanding compassion. and compassion yep. that I just I that's why I think the show was a little bit confounding for me at first because <laughs> I'm like, I didn't. What's up with this guy? Yeah, it was. You were a little skeptical that it was going to be a positive show. And there was conflict. There were. Yeah. There were plenty of things that like made it um, kind of more complex, but they did it in such a beautiful way. I'm, um, I love that show. And I will say you've been on the front end of this. You watched it like week by week, which like I mean, again, hashtag inspo. Yeah, inspo. I will <laughs> give all of that credit to my husband too. He was he was a driving force on that one. Well, I'm gonna watch it again. Um, I'm looking forward to rewatching it and kind of just catching anything that I missed. But if you missed it, um, Ted Lasso is about an American football coach going to the UK to coach soccer. Um, and basically no one there wants to put up with his American Pollyanna bullshit. Um, but yeah, as we just keep saying, the characters, the story, the writing, the one-liners, Keely and Rebecca's relationship. Oh, I love Keely and Rebecca's relationship. So much. And Roy Kent's eventual relationship with you-know-who. I won't... No spoilers here, but no, please watch it. Roy Tell us is how my you like it. fave. Yes, I would love. To, like, if anybody wants to talk about it, send me think pieces. Like, I feel like I'm seeing more and more articles about it. Uh, uh, and I know you and I have talked about this, but we're both tall ladies, and Rebecca being yep. just like a lady a tall of stature, lady who wore tall heels and just looked so good in clothes. She looked very smart, as they um, say. I just representation matters, Robin. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I don't know if we can say that about. <laughs> tall white ladies but uh um, here we are 
Um, yeah, and I will say that um, the thing that I um, think encapsulates kind of just the beauty of the show, there is one scene where this tough, gruff character, Roy, is singing along to the karaoke version of Let It Go. Yeah. It's one of those, like, blink-and-you-miss-it moments, but, oh, if you catch it, it is just everything that is pure and good and right about the show. Thank you, Meredith. You're welcome. I will say, if you watch it, the darts episode, I think, is my favorite favorite episode. So good. Um, So Ted Lasso was a gift to us in 2020. And another gift, I feel like, in 2020 is some of my favorite television shows as a child are returning. Yeah. (laughs) Say more about that. Um, Well, you know, I've talked about Supermarket Sweep, and you know I'm going to get deeper into Supermarket Sweep later (laughs) as we talk about game shows. But Saved by the Bell is back. Have you watched it? I watched the very first episode. And? I thought, oh, I loved it. Okay. Um, I thought Peacock was an, going to be a free programming service. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's not. But mm-hmm. the very first episode is free. Okay. All 10 episodes are up. And so they give you a seven-day trial. Oh, you know, I like that. So you know I'm going to be busting through the rest of those nine episodes. If you can believe the, it, you can the, achieve it. In those seven days. Um, so a friend, I hadn't, I hadn't watched it yet, but a friend texted me and said, it was, I really liked it, and for reasons I didn't expect. Ooh. I was like, oh, that's the hook. <laughs> you got me. Um, and so I I got into it, and I totally understand it. So um, the show makes fun of the old show in a loving but, like, perfect oh. way. Um, so Zach Morris is the governor. I think you saw the headlines yeah. of Zach Morris being the governor. And he cuts the education budget. <gasps> and so he, it is, you see two schools. You see Bayside and this other under-resourced mm-hmm. school. And so they don't have, they that school gets closed down. And so, um, you know, all the parents go to Zach Morris and are fighting with him. And be like, what are you doing? And he de- they decide to put that school together with Bayside. Okay. And so you have kind of this picture of these really rich snobby students at Bayside and this other school that's come from an under-resourced community and so you know comedy ensues oh but it then wait but it then allows you to kind of laugh at the Bayside characters and laugh at old Bayside of all the hijinks that went on and all the things they got um, used to so Zach Morris has a son Yes. Mac Morris. Mac, Return of the Mac Morris. Um, we love it. At Bayside. And he seems shallow and is like just a character of Zach, but he's not like the hero like he was Ooh. in the old one, which okay. is what I liked. It's kind of flipping yeah. um, the script on us because he's now, you kind of look at the hijinks and all the um, stuff that he goes through and you're like, really? Like this is this is who you are and that was like zach morris but we idolized zach morris yeah. back in the day so that's why i like it um is mark pa- paul gosler still smoking hot um he's so dumb in this that it was oh. it's hard fine but, i'll rewatch pitch um ac slater's in it and <gasps> jesse spano's in it and yes. i believe those two are maybe going to be recurring characters and zach and kelly are not but give me that lisa turtle they i know um but forget about screech yeah um but they have references to 
um, AC sitting backwards in the chair. Like he comes and sits backwards in the chair and tries has this like moment with one of the students, and they're like, "I've never actually seen someone a human person sit that way." <laughs> yeah. So just um, really self-aware. Oh, I like that. Which I love. They someone said, "Do you want to go solve our problems and go have a dance?" Um, dance competition at the max <laughs> right like i <laughs> all of the references to old saved by the bell so good are good and then you have um the characters um from this new school i think it's dixie who's like a strong female lead that you want who's Ooh. like fighting for change and running for student council and all that stuff so kind of a mix of everything well you had me at seven day free trial <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I will I will be watching that and um, but I think my one complaint is they changed the theme song they switched what? it up they switched it up a little bit and it's not it's not better I'll give you say that it's not what? better um, all right well talk about a hook <laughs> I'm gonna check that out I'm excited now I felt like I didn't have anything to watch and here you came to save the day. I want to give you one other Netflix show that I really enjoyed, and then I just have a, a lightning round of a couple other doodads and whatnots. Okay. Um, so I really enjoyed the 40-year-old version, V-E-R-S-I-O-N, on yeah. Netflix. Um, it's a movie. It's about a 40-something playwright who won an award for being up and coming several years ago. Okay. Um, and she's now uh, teaching high school kids and trying to next get her next play onto um the stage um it has a lot to say about like having potential and maybe not living up to it or what other people think you should be doing um feels a little on the nose for me yikes i feel attacked (laughs) um it has a lot to say about the new york city theater scene and like racism and sizeism and sexism and um classism and I know that sounds real heavy, but it is funny as hell. Okay. Um, and it stars Rada Blank, I think is her last name. And um, I think it's supposed to be semi-autobiographical, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. It is really, really good. I've heard a lot of people like it, so it's on my list. Yeah. Um, you been uh, watching them cooking shows at all, Meredith? You know, I took a I took a big, strong break from the <laughs> cooking shows after everything fell apart at the BA Test Kitchen. Yeah, well, our our girl Sola landed on her feet. I feel like she is everywhere. Yeah, she deserves it. She is so wonderful mm-hmm. and just talented, and I love everything she does. Um, I just watched uh, what she eats in a day. Yeah, that's that's how you get me. Anybody <laughs> wants to tell me what they eat in a day, and I'm like, let's start a breakfast. Let's go. Um, so she just did one of those. She's got like irons in the fire with like New York Times and like a bunch of different things. So yeah. seek out Sola for sure. Um, but I also want to put in a plug for June from Delish. Yep. Meredith, this woman, she lives in New York and she does all these great, like, I'm going to cook for two people for seven months on $5. Like, she just is so creative and so wonderful. I watch a lot of her stuff and think, like, my family would never eat that. But June and I, you and I would eat that every day (laughs) together. Just June and I. You and I are meant to be together. Uh, But she's lovely. And um, she has a partner who she lives with. And he'll come in and kind of, like, rate her food on a scale from 1 to 10. And, um, yeah, it's really, really great. She loves that. Yeah. And, well, I think people got kind of um, salty about him in the comments and said he was being kind of rude considering she, like, prepares, like, gourmet-grade meals for him, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And he'd be like, "Mm, 
I don't know, six out of ten. And she's like, thank you. I love, like, she does genuinely crave feedback, which, like, I know. Like, like? Usually that's a, a rule <laughs> nope. at our house. If I make dinner, it's I don't. It's a ten out of ten, <laughs> y'all. Say it with me. I don't want to hear anything but a thank you. <laughs> um, but she, I do think she genuinely wants his feedback. So um, I think maybe he's been a little bit more generous uh, lately. Um because of the trolls um but yeah seek her out she is just a delight like she'll just go pick up some random vegetable at the market and cook cook it for a week like something she's never cooked with before doesn't even know how to pronounce doesn't know like if there's seeds in it or not and she just like it's a good reminder that you don't have to be perfect in the kitchen yeah um so that's that and then the other thing i want to recommend if you're looking for something a little steamier um that is uh love and anarchy on netflix it is swedish it is dirty it is flirty and i loved it (laughs) well you know i'll probably be passing on that (laughs) i feel like i texted you about it and i was like meredith this is not safe for work when i need to talk about it and you were like "Eh, come on friend um okay well i'm just going to give you a couple other things that i watched um and just a couple of them are already ones that we've talked about before. I just yes. have a, a few things I need to add. But I watched Julie and the Phantoms. <gasps> thanks to your recommendation. Meredith! I know. This is new information. And I'm going to tell you, as of like if I ranked all the teen shows yes. that I watched, it was it's not high on the list. <laughs> um, but it was it was enjoyable. Did you watch it with your kids? I, well, that's the thing. You know I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's like a different scale for like stuff we would watch. I mean, Babysitter's Club is 10 out of 10 on both scales. Yeah. First of all. Yeah. But yeah, it was a. Yeah. Hey, I enjoyed it. Yeah. But I'm just going to say like wasn't it wasn't Babysitter's Club. Yeah. Of of the teen shows I've watched this year. Never have I ever. Babysitter's Club. Tops. Those. Yeah. I would start with those if you're looking for a teen show. Then Julie and the Phantoms. Then Julie and the Phantoms. Six out of 10. Which is a girl who plays in a band with yes. ghosts. Again, based on a true story. <laughs> um, but I love some of the songs. She's the got, songs were good. She's got uh, a great voice. Um, I like the dad. Um, I, I <laughs> He's did, so cute. I did like the dad. I liked the little brother and the Tia. I liked... Um, I liked the other bandmates. Yeah, they were all right. Um, <laughs> they, but they were, you know. But I didn't really love like the ghost aspect of it. I know that's like the whole premise of the show i didn't mind that they were ghosts yeah i didn't love like the other the caleb guy the bad like the devil yeah i think he was supposed to be oh. representation of the devil Maybe. or something well he kept having them like make a deal with them yeah. right and they, they had to like meredith oh they're deep um that part i didn't care for yeah um like all the rules about the world like the this like purgatory type yeah. situation. Shut up and in. sing, guys. Yeah, just like be a ghost and play the guitar. <laughs> so can I tell you something that I just discovered and I meant to tell you as soon as I figured it out? But um, the guy who's a skateboarder, I forget the character's name. Yeah, Alex, maybe. I don't know the blonde uh, guy. N- the boyfriend. Oh, the boyfriend. Um, his the actor's name is Boo Boo Stewart, uh-huh. and he is Fievel Stewart's brother, and she is Izzy from Atypical. Oh, nice. How about that journey yeah. for the two people who listen to our show who know <laughs> that overlap? Oh, we'll draw we'll draw a chart for you. You know what? We got some Atypical stands on the, the on our listeners list. Yeah. So, um, well, that's a nice connection. Well, I am very happy that you watched it. Yeah. Now we can sing the songs together, karaoke night. For it's sure. gonna be great. It's gonna be. <laughs> so good 
Um, okay, just to follow up on some of the other shows that we've talked about in the past. Yes. I'm watching The Crown. Okay. Um, another show that everyone is needing to remind you that is fiction. <laughs> like, guys, we know. It's not actually Princess Diana on the screen. Like, we know it's fiction. Yeah, but also, they were not nice to her. No, they were not nice to her, <laughs> which made me watch Diana in her own words, which is a documentary. Oh, I need to watch on, that. On Netflix, it is very sad. I really enjoy The the Crown because I like to sit there and, like, if anytime there's a photographer in the shot, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that, that picture is going to be somewhere on the internet oh. and I'm going to find it. So like they're on the, um, Margaret and I forget her boyfriend at the time were on the beach mm-hmm. and they see like a paparazzi shoot that. I'm like, that picture, exact picture is going to be somewhere on the internet. And it is. And that like, Oh, I like that. That right there keeps me watching. That's good, uh, side business to yeah. be doing while you're watching. I like um, that. Um, and so I really love that. I love researching, but there's so many parts that are so boring. There was one episode that was just like <laughs> 10 minutes of nature shots. We're walking through the bogs. Yeah. They, they were hunting. Hun- hunting and fishing. And I was just like, you know what? We could speed this up, guys. We could speed this up. Um, it's another one. Beautiful costuming. Just absolute gorgeous design. Yeah. Sets. Beautiful. But like, pick up the pace. For sure. But I still love the queen. Um, she is wonderful. Um, two other things I'm going to follow up. The Bachelorette this season. Yes. Is very good. Okay. And they are breaking down um, kind of boundaries they have set for themselves. There are discussions about race. Oh. Which, like, The Bachelorette is notoriously really bad at having okay. um, conversations about race and race racial relations. And um, Is this, like, at the hands of the producers? or like, No. Okay. Of course, it's the contestants. So, we have our second... This is the second Bachelorette who is a black woman. Okay. Um, and they have clearly made an effort to have a my more diverse cast. Okay. Um, and so one of the contestants um, is a, a black man, and they have a conversation about race, about their skin tones, about okay. what this year has meant. They said George Floyd in a conversation and Holy cow. had like real a real discussion about it and how this year has impacted them. That feels major. It was so authentic and nice to hear because I just feel like the producers always edit that stuff yeah. out. They don't, they only want the drama. They yeah. don't want kind of this substantive mm-hmm. conversation to happen. So, and wasn't there, that sounds, first of all, that sounds amazing. And second of all, wasn't there a, an original bachelorette who yeah. like peaced out? Yeah. Okay. She left. And this is happening in real time, Corona times. Yes. Okay. Um, they have like their bachelorette bubble. They are all at a um, resort. They're okay. at a La Quinta resort in Palm Springs. Oh. And so they're just, they have rented out the whole place. They stay there. That part about it is pretty boring. I was going to uh, say, I feel like of all the shows to produce, like that's a good one, yeah. right? Like you just get them all somewhere, get them all tested up and yeah. nobody's and allowed to leave. They're current currently filming... Um, the Bachelor, not in La Quinta. I think they're in Pennsylvania or Connecticut or some somewhere, oh. um, or on the East Coast. Um, and they have the first Black Bachelor. Hmm. Um, so hopefully, making progress in that world makes you feel like a tiny bit better for watching it. Just okay. like a very tiny bit. <laughs> like, when I say a tiny bit, it's not, not good, just better. Um, but at least it's moving in the right direction. Um, all right, so that's it for me on what we're watching. Should we get into our favorite game shows? I think we of should. The past? All right, start us off. Okay, so I just want to let you know that as a youth, I watched 
a lot of television. Yeah, that's strange. <laughs> um, so during the summers, after a hearty dose of outdoor free play we would come home and watch all of the game shows like i feel like there was just a block of like hour after hour after hour of like bumper stumpers uh press your luck the original one with peter tamarkin um yeah i watched the hundred thousand dollar pyramid and classic concentration um i think classic one of the concentrations was hosted by alex trebek who we will be talking about um password remember password i I still say that now the password is (laughs) um hollywood squares all of them live from the center square it's shadow stevens remember him um i will tell you that uh my main memory of hollywood squares is so many jokes going over my head referring to the phrase making whoopee Uh, (laughs) so that's why now i'm like oh that's an interesting euphemism um i understand it now meredith don't don't worry um but i I will say a lot of those shows have been rebooted lately. Like yeah. Card Shark is back, and um, I think the hundred thousand dollar pyramid is back. <gasps> oh, I gotta I find so. that. I know Press Your Luck is back because um, we I, have some no whammies up in our house. I will say I we loved Press Your Luck too, um, and if nothing else, but for the no whammy, no whammy, yeah. big Stop. bucks, big bucks. That's things we say all the time. Yeah, that, those phrases made it into our lexicon. I love it. Um, I will say when I got a little older, I really loved when Ben Stein's money. Do you remember that one? I do. I didn't watch it. Oh, that was, I do. I do like a trivia show. Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to brag Meredith, but I did audition for wheel of fortune at the mall once. (laughs) (laughs) This is my favorite thing of all time. It was at Barton Creek mall. And um, I made it on to the next round and had to go to like a hotel ballroom for like round two. I took time <laughs> off work because I had the chance of to be course. on Wheel of Fortune. I love Wheel of Fortune. And my favorite is when someone is so confident that they have the right answer and it is wrong. And Bone with the wind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they just yell it just with all their might. And it's. Eh-eh. Um, yeah. There's. um. Uh, a level of uh, self-awareness <laughs> that some are not cursed with. And that's all I'll say. Um, so unfortunately, um, after making it to the sev- second round, I think I washed out during the personality round. <laughs> um, so that's that. I love that story. <laughs> yep. Uh, but, you know, again, exciting times. <laughs> um, but I will say like throughout like growing up, like college today, like Jeopardy was always like the through line for us. We watched it as a family. For sure. Um, I had a group of friends who we watched it in the dorms every night. Um, super cool, popular friends. Um, and I always watch it with my grandmother like such fun memories of that um, and now it's been super fun to introduce it to our son so um, yeah with Alex Trebek passing recently um, it's just like brought back a lot of memories about like how long that show has been on and how much it has meant yeah I have really fond memories of watching it with my parents mm. at like the five o'clock hour yeah. six o'clock hour um, right before dinner hit me with the rest of your uh, give me your favorite show picks well I feel like you you hit on most of them. One that I loved that was on right after Supermarket Sweep when I was a kid was Shop Till You Drop. Do you remember Shop one. Till You Drop? They li- had a mall. Oh. It was like a mall game show set up and they had to I don't go know to certain show. stores. Yeah, look it up. Shop Till You Drop was a really fun one for okay. us. Not as great as Supermarket Sweep. Okay. And I just want to talk a little bit more about Supermarket Sweep and the new. This I new wish episode. you would. 
Um, my favorite is they are bringing back previous contestants who were on the original Supermarket Sweep. They're having a second chance. That at, is so good. Um, at winning. And um, I love that there are higher priced items. They have like Yetis, Yeti coolers yeah. in there. Um, Get that sponsorship money. Yeah. No, they are really making an effort there. Um, and then one thing that really drives us crazy, because we watch this as a family, is that... In the super sweep at the end, they get a clue and they have to go find it. Yeah. And in the clue, it's like, if you if you have bad breath and you need this gum, you know, and then it's like, go to the... And if they don't know the name, the brand... It's a rhyme. Yeah, yeah but if they don't know the brand, it's like, it says it's a gum. <laughs> go to the gum aisle. Like, if you... Again, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say this might be the bone with the wind crew. Yeah, that we're well, there's with. some moments where it's like I think the one of them was Capri Sun, and they're like, if you want a juice box and something something, and then but they couldn't re- get the Capri Sun. They couldn't yeah. realize that it was Capri Sun, but they were running all over yeah. the store thinking, go to the deli. Yeah, it's like they said juice box. <laughs> go to the juice box and find the orange sticker. Oh. I really, I did find myself the other day applying for supermarket suite. Meredith! <laughs> and then I needed a headshot and... Meredith's um, going to hear that beep. Uh, <laughs> I will not judge you if they tell you to find the juice box and you're like, go to the ham! <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, and my husband and I talked about a strategy, like who would do the super sweep, who would do um, just different rounds. Um, I'm loving that for you. I would, uh, that would be a dream come true. <laughs> Um, but that's, I think that's it. I think let's get, now we should get into the most exciting part of our show. And that is an interview with a real life Jeopardy champion, Colin Davey. Welcome back, everyone. We are joined by Colin Davey, gentleman suitor of one of my very best friends, Kara, and also a former Jeopardy champion, current Jeopardy champion. Is it like the president? You just get to be a Jeopardy champion forever in your title? I think it, it's both. It's like the quantum superposition. And I am forever a Jeopardy champion, but no longer the current Jeopardy champion. Wow. Okay. Next up, string theory. So anyway, <laughs> thank you for coming on the pod, Colin. Uh, so as I mentioned, um, you were recently on Jeopardy and won. Um, and can I tell you, that was a big day at my house. Um, it was a ton of fun to watch and we are super excited to get some behind the scenes goss about Jeopardy. Uh, but we just wanted to take a minute and send our thoughts to um Alex Trebek's loved ones. What a loss that was. That was a gut punch. Um, and I'm sure um, Colin has some thoughts on the late great Alex Trebek. But let's start out with some information from you, Colin, on how you prepared for the show and actually backing up a little bit. How did you get on the show? Because I, um, I heard a little birdie told me that you don't just raise your hand and say, I'd like to be on and then you just go on. What was that like? I wish it were that easy, but I have actually been trying for the better part of a decade to be on Jeopardy. Um, I, uh, you know, I've always loved trivia in all of its various forms. Uh, was one of those scholastic bowl weirdos in high school uh, and did manage to make Allstate and full on went to Disney World like my senior year of high school to represent the state of Illinois. So that's how far back the, uh, the obsession goes. 
And, you know, there's no higher form of trivia than Jeopardy. It's America's favorite game show. It is, you know, the, it's the perfect format for it. So it's always been a bucket list item of mine. And everyone who wants to be on the show starts off with the same process. There's an online test that you take every year. They used to, or, uh, they used to have it at specific times during the year uh, where you take it usually in late January. They have since introduced the anytime test where you can just take this online test pretty much anytime you want. And it's pretty similar to the show. You answer 50 questions in your web browser uh, and you know you usually have seven to 10 seconds uh, per question to answer. And if you get a high enough score, usually around 70%, uh, you are then entered into a lottery from which they randomly draw contestants to advance to the next stage. And this is always the hardest part to clear when you want to get on the show, because it's usually about a one in 10 chance of making it past the lottery stage. Doesn't matter if you got a perfect score, doesn't matter if you got the minimum score, everyone is treated the same past that point. And this was a particularly interesting year to go through the next stages, because in normal times, what uh, happens next is you go to kind of a hub city where they bring the Jeopardy crew to kind of like a mobile command center type operation. And you both take a written test basically to make sure that you weren't you know, cheating or Googling or doing anything untowards during the online test. Um, and if you get high enough there, then you actually play a mock game you know, at the audition city where you get the real buzzer. It's a simulated game, just like the real thing. <laughs> or your camera worthiness. Can you look at, you know, can, do you, do they think that you're gonna be good TV material? Are you gonna freeze under the headlights? Can you be a good contestant that everyone, you know, can root for? And in COVID times, they did all of that over Zoom this year, which was a first for them. And wow. so that was sur kind of surreal to go through for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, because they started that process around, I wanna say late April, early May. And if we all recall what we're doing in late April, early May of 2020 was wondering if the world's ever gonna get back to normal. We're all hunkered down, we're not leaving the houses, you know, like reality has been thrown out the window. And so when I got an email saying, hey, remember that Jeopardy test that you took this year back in January? You made it to the next spot and you're gonna audition through Zoom. It was honestly the first piece of positive anticipation I had in, I couldn't even remember how long because, you know, Aww, years, like we're, we're shutting in forever. Like we all remember March and April, how it went. And so it was just a nice breath of fresh air to have something positive to look forward to. Um, after that, the process pretty much consisted of the, the written test was taken over Zoom, you know, where you look at the camera, they basically have 50 questions that appear in front of you. And they just make sure that, you know, you're looking at the camera and not, you know, obviously looking at someone off screen or typing or like the answers that, you know, as you get them. Um, I didn't even can think about cheating once because like, if you're trying to cheat at that point, you don't belong on the show. And like, if I'm gonna be there, I wanna make sure that I can actually hang and I deserve to be on that show. Um, and after that, um, the, 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 the mock game portion consisted of 12 people who had passed the second phase playing a mock game, except instead of a buzzer, you are encouraged to hold up a pen in front of the camera and pretend like you're on the show and buzz in with your pen. Okay. And play your there. dexterity. <laughs> 
Yeah, like they're they're looking for all of that. And um, you know, everything I I'd read about the audition process from the, it actually helped in a lot of ways because everything I read about the audition process says that if you made it to the mock game portion, they they don't care how you actually do answers wise in the mock game. If you've passed the knowledge parts there, like it doesn't matter like how you like what questions you answer there. They only care about can you make eye contact? When in doubt, smile more. Can you smile? Are you going to be a nice young man or woman that you know grandma like wants to see on the show? And to have it kind of broken down into like those different phases allows you to focus on only what they're grading or what they're looking for at that point. Um, wow. And Zoom time was, you know, particularly interesting because I, I didn't care how I did at the answers. I actually got a question wrong during my mock game portion. Colin! Doesn't matter. Like, the, I, I think they're actually, because like what they, I know also like what they really don't want on the show is people who won't ever buzz in. They'd rather have people who are buzzing, who actively buzz in more and get it wrong than people who sit back and aren't sure and don't buzz in. That just makes for better television. Because at the end well, of the luckily, day- you were a charismatic stone cold fox. So you sailed- I, I mean, let's not say things that we can't take back later. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But I will say that I was very fortunate to you know, be dating an actual producer who, who you know, is thinking about things like your background lighting and you know, how your do you- hair. All of those things. And there are, um, I will just say that not everyone probably had the luxury of putting in the same amount of thought into how you appear on screen. Like granted, even wow. if it's a screen like this. So I had, I had a lot of things working in my favor. And Kara was a very big part of that. Well, we'll have to hire her out if she's uh, looking for a side hustle. She can be a Jeopardy Zoom audition coach. She would be fan. She has been fantastic at it. If you are listening to the show and you get to the Zoom interview, please hire Kara Harris to handle all of your background production. <laughs> Reach out for contact info, everyone. Um, that is amazing. So, um, so that's the process of getting there. Um, and for folks who are interested in an in-depth view of how you prepared, um, I know that you recently published an article. Can you tell the good people out in listener land how they can find the article if they have real smart brains in their head and want to read more about how you um, use data science to prep for the show? Where can they find it? Sure. So I think the easiest thing to Google is it may just be Colin Davy Jeopardy at this point, but there is an article floating around there by me, Colin Davy, called How I Won Jeopardy with Data Science. And I don't know, I do not think this is the normal way that people prepare for the show, but people do prepare for the show. And in recent years, it's undergone kind of a semi-professionalization of how people prep for the show. You know, like it's basically insufferable nerds like me who just break down the show to its core constituent you know, components, be like, what do I have to get good at? And, you know, systematically identify things you practice in. Um, by far, I think the consensus now is the most important thing to practice in is buzzer reflexes. Because one of the things that people don't realize um, is that when you're up on the stage, um, when you're um, waiting to buzz in for a question, it, you don't buzz in as soon as you know the answer. You have to wait until Alex Trebek is done reading the full question and there's a little light that people at home can't see that you're waiting to go off. And as soon as that light goes off, you're allowed to buzz in. 
And if you buzz in too early, you're locked out for the first quarter or half second um, and gives other people an opportunity to buzz in. Oh, so, I just got a stress uh, ulcer hearing that, like just listening to the light and the timing and the last breath out of his mouth. No, and no, it is a whole system. And so like the, the, like Jeopardy is, I forget who said it, but uh, someone described Jeopardy as a reflex competition masquerading as a trivia competition. Oh, because wow. for the most part, all three contestants usually know the answer when it's read, because by the time you get to the show, you know, you know, they've screened you for being pretty knowledgeable. But by the time you actually get on the show, uh, like the difference is separating everyone else's buzzer reflexes. And so part of my practice preparation was, in fact, training for buzzer reflexes. Um, if everyone remembers James Holzhauer, the Illinois graduate who went on, you set all the money records a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. He kind of unveiled the secret of this book that he read called Secrets of the Buzzer by this author, Fritz Holznagel, who was a contestant in the 90s, competed in the Battle of the Decades tournament. And he literally wrote a book, the book, on how to get better at buzzer reflexes, down to the pose you should adopt. Should you take, you know, how much coffee should you drink beforehand? Like that, every single mechanical detail down to should you take Adderall before your taping show? Uh, he does not recommend it actually for those curious. But um, I read the book. I emailed him with a couple of questions. He recommended a practice buzzer for me to purchase, which I did. And that was part of my uh, preparation for the show, practicing buzzer timing for about an hour a day uh, up until the show aired. So it's all the little things that, you know, no one thinks about. Uh, no matter how much of a bookworm you are, if you get on the show, I cannot emphasize buzzer practice should be the number one thing that you start to prepare for. Wow. I love that. That's, um, really, that's really intense. And I don't know, have you seen that show Quiz? It's a, like a British show about who wants to be a millionaire. Um, it's about a couple who won and they were accused of cheating. It goes through all of this. So they're playing out in my mind as you're speaking. Um, you should check it out. But as you're talking about strategy, um, yeah, I know in your article, which I read and totally understood 100% of it. Oh yeah, yeah. We haven't even gotten to the math part about like that. I could talk about buzzer for the next hour, but I don't think your listeners really want to hear the ins and outs of how to push a button in the optimal amount of time. Like it's just me that finds it interesting, weird. I don't know. <laughs> um, but you you talk about your strategy, kind of the data analytics of it, and we you mentioned James Holzhauer with kind of this aggressive like buzzer strategy. Like, how do you think strategy changes the course of the show over time? Um, and do you think you have to have a strategy to win, um, to win Jeopardy or to be successful? You know, it's interesting. I actually assumed that, you know, I, I was playing in kind of a post Holzhauer landscape where everyone saw how he just bulldozed it. And it's like he was a space alien playing a fundamentally different game from everyone else. Um, funnily enough, like his tactics had been adopted uh, by other contestants with varying degrees of success. Uh, one, of one of his tactics that's pretty mainstream by now is uh, the idea of hunting for daily doubles. Uh, one of the things that is uh, still a little bit new to a lot of people is, you know, on your Jeopardy board, there are three daily doubles in any given show, one in single Jeopardy, two in double Jeopardy, but they are not randomly distributed around the board. They are more likely to appear usually in the third and fourth rows. 
Uh, and so you are like people have run the math on how valuable finding a daily double is for, you know, um, maximizing your chance to win. And like, you know, winning any show, of course, is what we all strive for, but it matters a lot more in Jeopardy, even from a money perspective, because only winners get to take home the total amount of money they have on their screen at the end. Second place always gets $2,000, third place gets $1,000. So you are massively incentivized to play for the win. And so the strategy that different contestants had used before is you go looking for the daily doubles. You start seeking out clues in the third and fourth row every chance you get, where most people kind of pick a category and play it top down. Uh, and a lot of people don't like watching that strategy. Uh, during my episode, they let me know on Twitter exactly how they felt about me and how I was using that strategy. So. It was a. Uh, it was interesting getting you know national hate mail over the internet for appearing on a game show, which is an experience to itself. Um, but I, had, to your to your point, Meredith, I had assumed that most contestants would be copying that strategy from here on out. You know, clearly recognizing just how superior it is to going top down. And even in the episodes that I saw before and after, not a lot of people are adopting it. Uh, maybe there's a comfort level part where you just like like to feel out a category. A lot of people, math is not necessarily their strong suit because you can do very well in trivia and not be a mathematically inclined person. You can just know everything and it just works out if you just answer all the questions right. But I knew going into my taping that, you know, I was good enough trivia wise to get on the show, but I knew that there would be better people just of sheer knowledge and recall than me. And so my best chance of winning was using my math brain and adopting those tactics. And maybe it rankles some people at home where, you know, I like to see a category top down, but I'm trying to win. I'm trying to be a Jeopardy champion. Everyone who gets yeah, on the show, just bananas be that I am a Jeopardy champion and I am not going to waste my shot uh, by using suboptimal tactics. Sounds like a really terrible way of phrasing it, but like it, and uh, and the underrated part, and I know you asked like, you know, how important is it having a strategy? Uh, the really underrated part to just having a strategy, it is, it is one less thing to think about when you're under the lights. I can imagine. I it's not explain how much yeah. your brain just like, once the music goes up, you hear your name called and you're like, oh my God, it's actually happening. I'm on the show. <laughs> your brain breaks in so many ways you cannot anticipate. And it is a lot to keep track of. You're checking your score. You're trying not to crack. Alex is right there, 10 feet to your right. Like you've never seen him before. And you're keeping, there's so many balls in the air and you're so focused. I like just having your strategy ahead of time and like, to be honest, I don't necessarily, my strategy didn't work as well as James because I'm not James Holzhauer and I don't know everything. And, you know, I started from his strategy of going from the bottom to answering the thousand dollar clues and then hunting for the daily doubles. I didn't get all the thousand dollar clues. And so from that standpoint, the strategy didn't work, but it was one less thing for me to think of when I was up there and just a little bit, it's like there's one less program running in your task manager and your battery doesn't drain as much. And that is a very real thing when you're up there. It is so different than playing at home on your couch in a million And sitting at home with your 10 year old? Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's shocking information. Um, a question from a, um, a 10 year old down the hall 
Um, he wanted to know how you decide how much to bet when you do get daily doubles. Great question. And wagering is its own like school of thought in a million different ways. So I knew going in that um, in single jeopardy in the first round, I was going to, if I got a daily double, I would bet everything instantly. <gasps> a true daily uh, double? True I mean, daily how, double. How horny does it make you to say, make it a true, true daily double, Alex? What? Like, I don't even. Come on. So like it was it so like it was actually more nerve-wracking because and I did find both of the daily doubles in the round that I won and I did bet true I I did make it a true double in the first one. So I kept it I kept it even weirder. It, it wasn't even Alex let's make it a true daily double. It was just true double. And that it was there was actually a lot of math behind that and they actually when i got the second one i actually thought for a good 10 to 15 seconds about how much i was going to bet uh and they edited that down after tv so they do not like show exactly oh. how much i was just paralyzed i wasn't paralyzed in thought i was deep in thought going over betting strategy so for okay. the first part it was actually it it was kind of an easy decision because I found my daily double pretty early in my second round. And I was behind the player to my right, Lindsay, who I knew from, you know, just we're all hanging out together in the green room while other people's episodes are being taped. So we can get into all the fun, like behind the scenes of filming stuff too. But um, I knew she was good. Uh, and I knew she was, she was like one of the miniaturist, is that right? She was the miniaturist, yes, the miniaturist from Los Angeles. She was, I knew she would be a very tough opponent. And she was ahead of me after single jeopardy. So she had a little bit of lead. She had like a $2,000 lead on me. I knew the payouts are so incentivized for winning. And so like in an environment where you're up against a tough opponent, you're a little bit behind and the payouts are massively top heavy and you're incentivized to win. You basically can't take enough risk whenever you get the opportunity for daily double. And like, and that a lot of that comes from um, my sports analytics background. You know, my day job as a data scientist, I came about that by way of the sports analytics and sports gambling world. And a lot of what we're steeped in there is things like, you know, in football, should someone go for it on fourth down? And so you, you have this intuitive sense of what decisions affect your win probability in all those different sports. And there is kind of a loose carryover to that to Jeopardy where I understand like a rough idea of the math of like, you know, of all the possible outcomes, I've been, I am incentivized to take a lot of risk. And having that backstop matters a lot because when you say true double, your risk, like my show could be done in the next five or 10 seconds if I get this wrong. I know that just, it, it, it could be done. And just knowing that it's the right decision, again, is one less thing to stress about when you're mm -hmm. up there and you have to dig deep and find the answer for something. So, oh, so Alex, your answer to the question of how, so like it's when you're behind, it's easy. The second daily double was a more interesting question of how much do I bet? Cause I still don't know if I bet the optimal amount because you know, there is no calculator for optimal jeopardy wagering yet. Maybe that's my next project, <laughs> but the basic thought process, because I got it shortly after my first daily double, was mm -hmm. I'm in the lead, and if I could have basically guaranteed 
that I could uh, try to win the game on that daily double alone um, and make it so that my lead was so big that I was guaranteed to win no matter what happened in Final Jeopardy, I would have bet everything. But it was still early in the game. I was not confident that if, if I bet everything and got it right, that that would have been enough for an insurmountable lead that I was guaranteed to win. And so I, I wanted to you know, make it big enough that it would have been a nice cushion, but yeah. not too big that I didn't shut myself out. And so it's that just middle area. And so that's why I took 15 seconds to roughly do that math in my head. What do I think is the right amount? And I'm glad that like it, I bet, I probably should have bet a little bit more, but I still bet a decent amount. And I did lose the lead briefly at one point in double jeopardy, but, you know, got it back and had a lead going into final jeopardy. But wagering strategy is very important, especially when you get to final jeopardy, because that's when you get the, into the fun game theory things where you have to guess what other people are wagering and how does that affect my wagering. And that's when the math background really comes into play. That is absolutely horrifying. And now we want to talk about green room gossip. So Great. Favorite do part. you just whip out your Mensa card and start trying to intimidate people or give us, I want all the hot gossip scoop behind the scenes, go. So there are um, 12 people that are called up to film the show on any given day. 10 people will play, two people will not. They always have a little bit of redundancy. So everyone who's called and doesn't film, you're guaranteed to film the next time. And um, in COVID times, the, the open secret is that everyone who films the show is from California or currently lives <gasps> in California. Yeah, they don't want any. Yes, they, they do not want anyone uh, to get on a plane. Uh, to go film in the studio for obvious reasons. And so they want to keep everyone within driving distance of Culver City. Are I there mean, that many smart people in California though? Like they're going to run out. One in six city. people in the country lives in California. Like they're not hurting for talent. Here and that actually- is math again. If you like, but it is a point of contention. There are a lot of people claiming that, you know, the, the California only talent pool is leading to some weak contestants. I disagree with that notion entirely. Wow. It was said by people who have not been on the stage and cannot appreciate how hard it is when you're actually up there. Um, it's like, so no, I'm actually not, um, I, my strategy was not to try to intimidate everyone else. Like I, I knew that like, you know, 2020 has been hard for all of us. Let's try to keep it social. Let's try to keep it nice. Let's try to keep a good rapport. And like that apparently is actually the more common response of everyone who gets called into the green room. They're all friendly with one another. Uh, I've stayed in touch with a couple people who also live in Aww, San Francisco. That's uh, nice. And, and, and the camaraderie has, has been really great across the board. Uh, so like for the most part, everyone was kind of in the same, you know, like mindset. Um, the guy Except I eventually- for- no, I was like, I heard for the most part. I'm like, who was yep. the least part? <laughs> so there, there are basically two people that I was afraid of in the green room who I knew would be intimidating. One was the, there was this guy, Cole, who filmed an episode right before me. He was just very quiet. You know, he wasn't unfriendly or anything like that, but he just kept to himself in the green room, just very quiet. And when I saw him filming, Later, I found out he used to be editor-in-chief of The Onion, 
which at that point is basically your job to be on Jeopardy, to just know everything and be smart and funny about it, which he was. Um, and he played a really, really good game in his episode. He almost clinched a runaway game and just had it locked up. But the person who beat him, who was the returning champion when I played, she went on a run for the last three questions to prevent the lockout, bet everything on Final Jeopardy, and he got it wrong. So, like, he, he got it 99% right, except for the 1% that he needed to win. So he was one person that I was afraid of. Um, and Lindsay was the other person who I was afraid of because like she, like she was just very like knowledgeable, you know, watching other people's episodes. I could just tell that she knew a lot. She watched the show a lot. I cannot emphasize how much I respected her as a Jeopardy player. She played a really good game. Um, so those, like, those, it's the people that are keep quiet and don't say a whole lot that you got to worry about. <laughs> I wouldn't know a thing about the, those kind of people. Sorry, you lost me. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I love I love hearing like that they cut out like a few seconds of your thinking time. I like hearing about the lights and the green room and the you didn't mention yeah. the snacks. So I'm assuming there were snacks. You um, have to bring your own snacks in COVID times, and I don't think they yeah, actually give snacks in COVID times. Yeah, like everyone came with a backpack full of brain food, basically. The basic, the, the biggest part that I'm sad about to that note is most people um, stay at, I, there's a hotel across the lot from Culver City. By the way, Jeopardy does not pay for your lodging and airfare expenses. You're out of pocket for all of that stuff. So if you come in third place, you can actually lose money playing Jeopardy. <laughs> You're but, but like, obviously oh, it's worth it. But um, but by all accounts, um, the hotel bar at like, you know, whatever it is, the Western, whatever, across the street from the lot is raucous at the end of taping day because it's like 10 people posted up where the winners usually pay for all the drinks there. And like, there is something very real to, um, unless you've been through it, like no one else can relate on just how hard it is and how surreal of an experience it is. So there is a very real bonding component. Um, and the alumni network factor is very real. There are Facebook groups, there are uh, reunions, there are get togethers, and there's something very real about like, you just like, for everyone who sees the episode, you know, it's encouraging and oh, why do you get that? Whatever, like, you cannot understand unless you've been on that stage. <laughs> like, it, it's almost, it's like, I, I sound like a cranky Vietnam veteran on some weird level, but there is some truth to that. And that is like, part of a big part of what I cherish is just like hanging out for the day with a bunch of other really smart people. And we have this common experience of like, man, that was really weird and really fun. I love that. I do too. And it's amazing that you can get that bond in just such a short amount of time, right? Like you didn't have a hundred percent. And if I'm going to, um, I actually, before my episode, I actually did do an interview with uh, a writer at the ringer uh, her, this woman named Claire McNear, who has a book out now that I would love to shamelessly plug called Answers in the Form of Questions. And it is just way. a series of research anecdotes like this, where she goes into what it's like at the bar, what it's like in the green room, talking to some of the all-stars who've been on the show. Um, and I did email her afterwards saying, like, I... I read the book and it actually honestly retroactively enhanced my enjoyment of what is already, you know, a top life moment. Cause you come to appreciate 
how much of an institution this show is, how much it means to so many people, people who have been trying to get on for it, people for whom the show has just had been on in their house for years. And she does she did a great job of humanizing all of the behind the scenes stuff that you look that you love to hear about it. I can't recommend the book enough. Uh, it's great if you love all of that behind the scenes stuff on Jeopardy. You know we do. Um, she actually um, did a podcast recently that I overheard uh, my husband listening to. He was listening to Bill Simmons with her, and um, I was listening to about the hotel experience. So I'm glad you talked about that. Um, yeah. Oh, so I have, um, you kind of talked a little bit about this, but I'm curious, like most shows that we see all need to like change things up a little bit to like keep viewership, right? Like I feel like a lot of game shows try to switch things up. Like what do you think that makes Jeopardy not have to do that? Like what's the magic there about Jeopardy that it's this, it's been the same show unless I am misremembering anything. It's pretty much been the same show as long as it's been on. So like the, it, I, I, the answer may not be one people want to hear right now, but the answer very well may, may be Alex Trebek. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is just something about him. He, um, a lot of other people's experience, the great ex experiences of being on the show was watching him work and how much of a perfectionist he, like he is. That image of him being calm, cool, competent and collected is not, you know, maybe it is his natural persona to a degree, but it also like the definition of being on TV is he make it look easy. And all of the stuff he does behind the scenes, he's there, you know, 5.30 every day, well before everyone else. Um, we didn't touch on it, but the contestants are not like hanging out with Alex, like during the day of the show, you only see him like when he first starts to emerge behind the Jeopardy logo on the board. So our interaction with on him a cloud and picturing yeah. him like an angel just kind of floating in. I always assumed it was like a Darth Vader, Vader cryogenic chamber where he's just like hooked up to pure knowledge and like he's just sustained by that in his chamber. But he is pretty well sequestered from, you know, all of the contestants for obvious fairness reasons, you know, it's, and when you're on a game show, you can't show obvious preference or favoritism towards anyone on the show. But our interaction with him is, you know, only when we see him there. But I think the reason why, you know, Jeopardy, didn't need to change as much as it did is because Trebek is just the constant there. He makes it hum. He is just a stable presence in the background, uh, not just in the background, but in driving everything about the show. And like, he was a big part of the magic on like why Jeopardy can just remain such a stable constant. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think the, the biggest changes they made were, you know, they doubled the prize money 20 years ago, but it has been the same show. Uh, by and large forever. And like, it was, you know, I, I definitely am still very bittersweet that I got to do one of the last episodes when he yeah. was still there and part of it. I am nothing but grateful for like my time. And like, it was really sad, you know, when we all learned that he passed, I think it was, you know, the day after that election weekend. So it's like, all right, you can have one day of fun and joy. And then he learned that Alex Trebek passes. So like that was, it was just a very bittersweet weekend. But, um, you know, I'll like, you know, I'll, 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 too much I'll, I'll think be about what they do the show, but like, I like, part of me wonders if like the, 
no, it's not going to be the same. But then again, they said the same thing when Trebek took over for Art Fleming back in the yeah. 80s. You know, like everyone, no one likes to, their thing to be changed on the spot. But I, the other thing that I really came to appreciate is, you know, as much as Trebek is the magic, there is just a wealth of talent of people that work behind the scenes that make the show go as seamless as it is. And they all genuinely love the show. And so if there's going to be a place that can figure it out and are committed yeah. to making Jeopardy still like the great part of everyone's lives, it is the insanely talented people, the writers, the producers, the staff who are just, were such a joy to be around all of filming day that they care so much about it that if anyone's going to figure out a way to make it work, it will be them because they're very, they love their jobs and they're very good at it. And I have nothing but good things to say about them. Wow. Well, and kudos to them for figuring a way to make it work in 2020. Um, so along those lines of the unreplaceable Alex Trebek, do you think anyone could replace him? And if so, who should it be? Well, someone's going to replace him by just the function of doing the job, right? So, I mean, it's like someone, but like, well, it's, no one's going to be Alex Trebek. Right. And he is I irreplaceable, think... but who's right. going to take over the 630 time slot for my grandparents to watch Jeopardy. Oh, right. No. So I think like, I know that I was just reading today that they are going to resume production, I think in like a week or two. And Ken Jennings wow. is going to be some uh, doing some of the initial guest hosting. Okay. And they had been teasing that for a while because this season he has been, you know, featured on like some, he is giving some of the clues. And so they're kind of soft launching him. And so I think the job is, you know, some people think the job is his if he wants it. And maybe he does want it. I mean, Ken Jennings is like probably is also one of those people that cares about Jeopardy as an institution. Um, I guess it's like any show, right? Like the when they replaced Jon Stewart with Trevor Noah, like I think it made a lot more sense for Trevor Noah to not be Jon Stewart. You know, the Daily yeah. Show is, is its own institution. And I think everyone is encouraged to, you know, like, you know, game show, it doesn't give you the same degrees of freedom as necessarily a talk show. But um, I, I think the best Jeopardy host will be someone that we have not heard of yet. No one had heard of Trebek. He did random stints on occasional game shows. And, you know, but by and large, he was not a known quantity when he took over. Um, and I think you know, there's always going to be the temptation to give it to someone who is shovel ready, who either by virtue of having been on the show or associated with the show or had hosted something else. Um, I know Trebek is very vocal that he would love to have a woman host it. And I'm sure there's plenty of sentiment for that. And I think that would be like a fantastic idea to just use it as a platform to elevate someone who is just as like, you will find someone who is as competent and collected as he was um and i he by all accounts was the first one to say broaden the broaden the search horizon like it should be someone who is smart enough and can play the every person role and i think it, the best host is someone that none of us are thinking of that we all collectively deserve to give a chance once he or she uh takes the wheel Colin, that was incredibly thoughtful, and I am not going to make a joke about broadening the role with a broad. So there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Meredith knows what, what she's dealing with. You didn't know what you were getting. <laughs> Good thing you didn't make that joke. <laughs> that would have been really embarrassing if you definitely made that joke, which you did not all make right now. Nope, definitely did not make a joke. 
So I'm curious if you watch other game shows. Not a whole lot, actually. And I, I have actually watched very little Jeopardy since I've been on, uh, which isn't too surprising because once you've been on, like, it's not, I don't need to bark out the answers in a room to prove that I could be on the show and prove that I can win the show. I literally already did that. And so it's like Mountain Summit is. <laughs> Um, but like, I look at it as a great milestone and like, I, I appreciate having been a part of it. And I, you know, I hope everyone, like, I, I love everyone that watches the show and I, I hope that people continue to watch the show in whatever next iteration comes. But, um, no, part of me looks at it as like, all right, like that bucket list item is checked off. There's no need to do the full Uncle Rico relive the glory days of beg to throw a football over that mountain. Like it's, it's over, it's done with, and I'm thrilled to have been a part of it, but it's, it's definitely like, don't feel, excuse me. I do not feel the need to watch it as much as I did. Yeah. Well, I cannot wait for you and Kara to be on Supermarket Sweep together. It's going to be amazing. Stay tuned she for that. is going to have a plan for sure. <laughs> That is my dream. Um, I also <laughs> appreciate the Uncle Rico reference there. <laughs> um, okay, so a uh, final question that we ask all our guests, and that is, what are you watching? What am I watching right now? Um, so we're a little bit late to the party on a little bit, a couple different things. Um, one of which we, we, may, we may have covered already on the show is uh, this HBO show, Raised by Wolves. Oh, it is a sci-fi show um, where Ridley Scott of Alien fame does uh, direct a couple episodes, and it is set in the future where it the concept is what if there were a couple of human children raised by androids on a remote world? What could go wrong? um raised by wolves it yeah so that is what we're watching now and we are also wrapped we wrapped up uh lovecraft country and hbo oh, how was that that was it was it was timed really well for our times um and you know i thought they did a fun job but maybe not fun is maybe not the right adjective of transplanting you know the horrors of american racism onto mythological concepts that we've all lived with and kind of made it like you know intermesh them as one and the same um so that was a good run similarly i also really have been i've had a fun time watching the good lord bird uh on showtime which is a highly sensationalized and fictionalized miniseries about the life and times of uh john brown noted i just heard someone raving about that yes both of them both lovecraft country and the good lord bird you know take some historical allegory and poetic license um in you know their narrative arcs and the good lord bird takes those cuts confidently where they have the backing of history but they lean into kind of some of the embellishment and some of the uh, you know, like making John Brown into uh, a character, which he really was by all accounts. There is like real life cannot contain the just wonderful complexity of the actual Reverend John, John Brown. Ethan Hawke does a fantastic job bringing him to life. So I really enjoyed The Good Lord Bird. Oh, this is definitely an Ethan Hawke stand podcast now. So that's <laughs> back. 
Oh, this is your, your, oh, like the, the link later isn't even TV. You guys probably have all opinions on all three sunrise, sunset. I've actually seen yes. none of them, but like, did anybody yell at you about that previously that you need to get on top of? It that? sounds on brand for everyone involved, so I'm gonna go with yes. All I know is that I met Linklater once and I didn't even know who he was. So, <laughs> oh man, how did Robin let you live that down? I don't oh, know. Oh no, I my husband had to tell me later who it was. So, <laughs> sir, you're stepping <laughs> on my foot. <laughs> in, in fairness, I couldn't pick him out of a police lineup either. So, you're in, this is a safe space. Oh, thank you. Um, and to, and he was very nice, just for behind the scenes little goss. Nice guy. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that because you know he listens to the pod. So thanks for <laughs> um, Colin Davey. Thank you so much for joining us. This was unbelievable. I love the behind the scenes. And um, where can people um, find you on social if they are interested in doing so? So I yeah, like what what is my social presence these days? There's a Twitter handle called ADJ Baseline, um, where mostly I talk about golf analytics, which I don't know what the Venn diagram of your podcast audience and golf analytics people are. Uh, it's but like I guess two we're gonna find circles out. that it's two circles running away from each other on a piece of paper. They actually bounce, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's some sort of magnetic poles where they're just like diametrically opposed to it. Um, so that, yeah, I mostly hang out on Twitter those these days, but uh, we, we touched on it briefly because I didn't, we didn't even touch into the crazy data science based prep I did for the Jeopardy show, but there is an article out there floating around there uh, that has all of my relevant information called how I won Jeopardy with data science. So for those of you who felt like they didn't get enough pure, insane mathematical ramblings onto this podcast, which is, I assume what your audience comes here for every week. Uh, you can give it a listen where the, the teaser version is it involves downloading the entire history of Jeopardy questions and running natural language processing algorithms to extract valuable bits of information that helped in my Jeopardy training. Uh, and if that doesn't sound like a cry for help, I don't know what is. So we can maybe we'll do a follow up interview in four months to see just make sure that I'm here still here and functioning. And this has been a cry for help with Colin. Uh, thanks again for hanging out. We appreciate yeah, thanks, it. Colin. Thank you for having me. This has been a ton of fun. All right. Thanks for listening. And thank you again to Colin for that interview. Um, if you're interested in connecting with us, find, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MyTVFamilyPod. Hey, be sure to phrase your answer in the form of a question and rate, review, and subscribe to My TV Family. Bye. Bye.